0: I'm a, uh, Sarah if you wouldn't mind staying here just a minute and Brett if you wouldn't mind coming up I want to do something I don't normally do okay and I need Brett Sarah and Kevin and the rest of y'all can go all right <laughs> this this will be fun and uh, you know God's just put it on my heart the elders voted last week I want I want to I want to give y'all something so you don't have to be scared okay it's gonna be fun um in 2010, August 2010, Daryl Trickett, our former worship pastor, left us for Arkansas, and I went to these three people, and I said, we don't have anybody but y'all, I hope y'all are going to say yes, uh, to lead us in worship, and I said, maybe a few months, maybe six months, maybe a year while we find somebody, you know, let's work this out, and now they have been leading us, which means they have to work with me every week. They have to pick songs that match my sermons and that kind of stuff. And they said, sure, we'll do it for a few months and we'll see how it goes. And then they decided, the kernels will do a month and bread will do a month and we'll see how it goes. Well, those few months have turned into eight full years. Next week, Jonathan Wisdom, our new worship pastor, comes on Thursday to pick up his keys. Alright, so he's He's here, he's in the States, He they visited Bible School Friday. Um, They'll be um, here on Thursday, get their keys, and they'll start looking for housing. And uh, they'll come to be with us in worship in the month of July, which is just a few weeks away now. These folks are going to still be planning and working through July. Uh, But anyway, uh, some people are concerned, well, what happens to the Whitfields and the Kernos? the Whitfields and Colonels have been around a while. They worked with David Wilcox, our first worship pastor. They worked with Daryl Trickett, our worship pastor. They know how to work with a worship pastor. So they still intend to work with a worship pastor and be here, but I just wanted to say on behalf of the elders and on behalf of the entire congregation, how do we say thanks to them for week in, week out, for eight solid years planning, working, practicing during the week, getting ready for Sunday and all that they do. So what we decided is we got together, we know y'all all like to kayak, okay? And so we're, first of all, hold, hold your applause, all we're going to do here. First of all, we're going to, and we know there's a river, I don't think y'all have been down yet, it's the French Broad River up in Asheville. And we're going to give you $500 to go find just the perfect kayaking spot and dinners, and all of that's going to be on us, okay? But that's not enough. Plus, we're going to put you up at the Hotel Village at Biltmore, so you have complete access to the Biltmore Estates, (laughs) right by the winery if you need that. It's all there, and complimentary breakfast, plus Hall of Fame rock and rollers, Concert tickets to Clear, Credence, Clearwater, Revival, and the Night Rangers. All right? And it's already sold out concert. You can't get the tickets except here. So I wanted to tell you ahead of time so you can get off work and plan this. Let's thank these folks. That's what we're doing. Three days, four nights at the Biltmore. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome job for us. We just, we really appreciate that. <clears throat> and I wanted to do it before Jonathan got here so he didn't see how much we love people, you know. We may need to make him work hard for a while and then we'll, then we'll share a little love. Turn it turn in your bibles with me to 2 Kings chapter 1. 2 Kings chapter 1. Do you ever sometimes feel guilty for not seeking God first and foremost, primary? I want you to hear the theme of 2 Kings chapter 1. It's repeated three times. Let's just hit it real quick first. Is first found in chapter, chapter 1 of 2 Kings, verse 3. The angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messenger of the king of Samaria and say to them. And here's the re- repeated phrase. Is it because there is no God in Israel that you're going to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? And then you see that in the last part of verse 6. Again, it says... Is it because there's no God in Israel that you're sending to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? And then you see it again at the end of verse 16. Is it because there's no God in Israel to inquire of his word? And you see that phrase now three times. That's that's the big deal here. Do you ever not seek God first? I'm doing a series on the attributes of God. When I came to this attribute, God is present. God is here with us. I said, you know, I think everybody gets that. But do we live that? That's what I want us to think about this morning. Yes, God is present. He is present here for us. Do we live that attribute of God? Do we live out God being with us? Now, I'm not saying you don't go... To a medical doctor if you have medical issues, or you don't go to the bank if you have banking issues, or you don't go to a car um, dealership if you have car needs. But do you seek God primarily? Doesn't mean you seek, He's the only one you seek. We seek other people and other things. But before the doctor and before the car salesman and before whatever else, do we seek God first? Or do we have God having this refrain? You know, why did they do that? Do they not understand I'm present? That they have a God here in this church, in this town to seek? Does does God ever say that about you or me? I remember a phone call I got from John Peterson. I don't usually share names, but most of y'all know him. This is a good story. John Peterson called me up one day, and he said... uh, David, I need you to pray. I said, "Okay. uh, What's what's the issue?" And he said, "Well, I was just in a car accident, and I've messed up my shoulder badly. I'm thinking, John, you need to go to the ER. You know, why are you calling me? This is a medical issue. You need to go to the doctor." He says, "Yeah, I'm on my way right now." I said, "Oh, okay." He says, but before I get to the ER and before I get to the doctor, I just wanted one of my elders to pray with me, and I, over the phone is fine. I just I want to seek God first, his will and his direction and all this. And I thought, that's so cool to think of God first. God's who I need. God's I need. And some, many of you do that with our email prayer chain. You can text it in. You have a need. You text it in. I want to pray first. And I want my church family to pray first. That I'm seeking God. Because God is is real and he's present. And and, and seeking him and, and asking of him matters. John went on to be healed without surgery. But the story's good because he sought God first. And we need to wrestle with that. Because sometimes we just routinely do the next thing, don't we? And kind of leave God out of the picture sometimes as to what uh, needs when you, when you get angry, do you seek God first? When you get frustrated, do you seek God first? When you get an unexpected bill, do you seek God first? Do you have a conflict? Your car won't start. Do you seek God first? First. is it because there's no god that you don't do that no i believe there's a god well why if if there's a god if there's someone who's sovereign and he's in charge over everything and every square inch of this earth is his and under his control then why is it we don't seek him first and foremost um Let's look at 2 Kings and get this theme of this this passage, that God is sufficiently here. Uh, Let me read the first eight verses. Now, Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. Now, why are they telling you that? Because um, Ahab used to be the king of Israel, and now the king of Israel's died, Ahab. Verse 2, somebody else gets to the throne, his son. And Ahaziah... So that's the next king of Israel. He fell through the lattice in his upper chamber, which was in Samaria, and became ill. So he sent messengers, and he said to them, Go inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I will recover from this sickness. And then the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite. Now, Elijah's their local preacher, the prophet. So the angel says to the preacher, Get up, go to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, And say to them, is it because there's no God in Israel that you're going to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, you shall not come down from the bed where you have gone up, but you shall surely die. Then Elijah departed. When the messengers returned to him, the king, he said to them, why have you returned? How did you get back so quick? Verse 6. And they said to him, a man came up to meet us, and he said, go return to the king. Who sent you? And say to him, Thus says the Lord, Is it because there's no God in Israel that you're sending to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed where you have gone up, but you will surely die. And the king said to them, What kind of man was he who came to meet you and spoke these words to you? They answered, Well, he was a hairy man with a leather girdle bound about his loins. And the king said, Oh, that's the preacher, Elijah the Tishbite. All right. Notice what's going on here. First of all, you got a new king on the throne, Ahaziah. And you've got Moab rebelling. Moab has been paying tribute to Israel or Samaria ever since the days of King David. So when the Syrians came down and fought Israel the first time, they weakened them badly. And then Ahaziah becomes king. And they said, Well, this is our opportunity. You got a kid jumping up as king, they've just gone through a war, they're weak, let's see how good they are, let's, let's quit paying our money to Samaria, so that's what it means, Moab rebelled, they're saying, perfect time to not pay our taxes, see what the king can do about it, and now the king is frustrated, anxious, falls in all of this news, through the lattice, so I guess he's on a porch, he falls through the lattice, gets hurt badly, probably internal bleeding, something's going on. He says, you know, am I going to get well? I've got a war on my hands. Moab's rebelling. I need to know, can a weak king with a weak army defeat Moab? That's his situation. He says, so let's go ask Beelzebub and God says, whoa, you're supposed to be under me, my sovereignty, and you're going to go ask another God? Now, that's, that's not like us just going to another counselor or to another church to, to ask some elders there what you should do. It's, it's a step beyond that. We have that all the time. It's, you know, God has given us counselors. He's given us elders to go and ask things of. And so people in other churches frequently come to churches with elders and say, you know, can you help us? Can you give us wisdom? And they said, you know, to know uh, why don't you go get, get that from your church? Well, our church doesn't have elders. We need churches with elders to pray for us and ask, oh, okay, we get it. That's not what's happening here. We have that story all the time. What's happening here is people from elder rule churches, a good church, Israel, saying, you know, I hear that over there with the Mormons, there's a lot of healing going on. Or over there in the Jehovah's Witness camp, there's, there's healing going on. I'm, I think I, I want to go over there to these people who say they don't worship Jesus Christ as their true God. And I want to see if they can help me out. And God says, why would you do that? Do you not have a God? Why would you go to somebody who worships another God? Who is not the true God and ask of that person for counsel and wisdom and direction?" It would be like going to a non Christian counselor of any sort who despises your worship of the true God. And you're asking them for counsel and wisdom. That's what he was doing. And God cuts it short pretty quickly. Now, what kind of statement do you make about God when you do something like that? You're making a statement about God's sufficiency. If if uh, you play on a team sport, you know whether it's football, basketball, uh, whatever, if it's a team sport, volleyball, and the coach puts somebody else in, he puts in a substitute. Why do they put in a substitute? Because the coach is determined for this play, for this moment, for this event, the people that are on the field or on the court, it, we, we're not going to measure up to our full potential unless we get a sub in there so let's take that person out let's put this one in and our chances are better you're saying it's, it's inadequate the way it is it's not sufficient the way it is somebody's sick somebody's hurt something's wrong and and we need to to put the sub in when we seek another god we're saying there's something inadequate about our god well our god won't do anything for us so i'm gonna go somewhere else Maybe I can get some help. That's quite offensive to the one true God. And he says, not only am I asking you, why are you doing that? I'm going to see to it that the wages of your sin is death. And he sends the message back to Isaiah. You're not ever going to get out of bed. You're in bed now. You're going to stay in bed. You are going to die. Uh, do we ever seek substitutes for God? You know, don't be too quick to answer because there's times when we kind of get lured into it to, like I said, not seek God first. To go for a substitute uh, no matter what it is. Do we ever seek manpower over God power? Do we ever Google before we go to God's Word? When we need Wisdom and direction. Do you know. We, we make sure we get to the, the doctor. Before we say the quick prayer. To God. It's so easy to seek. A substitute for real healing. Real spiritual direction. Even this is vacation season. You know I think sometimes. We've got to really seriously think. Do we, do we seek vacation rest. Before we seek Sabbath rest. Do we really come back to the value of, of God's directions for us? And Maybe we aren't using our Sabbaths right. And we, we don't even think about, well, God has a plan for us, and we need to seek that first. Let's just evaluate and make a commitment not to seek substitutes. You know, it, to me, it's like a headache. You know, what do you take for a headache? In this room, there's probably a, a bunch of solutions. Do you, do you take a, a Tylenol? for a headache do you take ibuprofen for a headache do you take Botox for a headache do you take uh, chocolate and wine for a headache do you take fudge no probably not Uh, whatever you take if you found something that works for you when you get a headache you don't take a substitute do you you want to go for what you've already determined is Right and works, and the same is true with our God. If, if you know God is sovereign and He's present, you don't go somewhere else first, do you? Sometimes I have, and I do, and I need to read a passage like this and say, Father, forgive me because I'm making a statement here that is quite offensive. I know that I would go anywhere else than to you first. And foremost well that's what Ahaziah is doing and he gets ticked when he hears God say don't do that so I hope you're not ticked this morning I hope you're saying ah I want to be repentant I want to confess my sins publicly to the Lord and I, I want to be cleansed well Ahaziah doesn't do that Ahaziah decides to send some soldiers to kill the preacher Let's pick up the story, verse 9. So then the king sent to him a captain of 50 with his 50. So you got 51 men, captain and 50 men. And he went up to him, and behold, he was sitting on the top of the hill. And he said to him, O man of God, the king says, come down. Elijah replied to the captain of 50. He says, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Wow. And so he, that's the king, again sent to him another captain of 50 with his 50. Now, wait a minute. Just think about that for a minute. You just sent probably your best man, captain and 50 guys, to go collect the preacher. Fire comes out of heaven and burns all 51 of them up. Somehow you get the news that's happened. You say, huh. I'll send 51 more. Think about who Ahaziah is. He is the son of Ahab. You remember Elijah is the preacher. Elijah, so it's still during Elijah's lifetime. Remember Elijah and the Baal prophets? You remember that story? And they created two altars and fire came down from heaven and consumed the altars. Who was the little boy at that altar? It was Ahaziah. It's like, Dude, you should have gotten the message when you were a kid. You don't mess with God. Fire comes out of heaven when you mess with God. But here he is. He's seen it happen with the, his dad and the Baal prophets. He sees, sees hears of it happening again now with 51 more men, and he sends another 51. Verse 11, so he again sent to him another captain of 50 with his 50, and he said to him, O man of God, thus says the king, come down quickly. It's like, I'm tired of playing with you. Yeah, who's doing the playing? Yeah, verse 12, Elijah replied to them, if I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. And then the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Oh. So he again sent the captain of a third 50 with his 50. And then the third captain of 50 went up. He was obviously smarter than Ahaziah. And he came and he bowed down on his knees before Elijah. And he begged him and he said to him, O man of God, please let my life and the life, lives of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. Behold, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the first two captains of 50 with their 50s. But now let my life be precious in your sight. The angel of the Lord said to Elijah, here's a guy you can go down with. Go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. So he arose and he went down with him to the king. And then he said, so as soon as he sees the king, then he said to the king, Thus says the Lord, because you have sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, Is it because there's no God in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed where you have gone up, but shall surely die. All right, now let's back up and just ask the question. Why do you send 51 soldiers after a preacher? Chances are you're not saying, hey, I just inherited the kingdom. I've got this palace room theater. Why don't you come to my palace room theater? We'll grab some nachos, and we'll watch the World Cup or the U.S. Open. That's not what's going on. When you send 51 soldiers, you're saying, my intention here is to kill you. That was clear from the beginning. 51 go. Elijah says, well, the only way out of this is God. you're going to have to kill them. God says, got it. Bam. They're done. They're toast. Second 51. They're toast. The third 51. They say, wait, we... we, we're not here to to kill you. I, guess I might want to do that, but that uh, we're not messing. We've, we've just gone through a hundred two corpses. We've got enough sense to know this this is a losing battle. Um, and so God says, okay, they're not going to kill you. You can go with this group. and he does. Um, you know, what was the prophet what was the king trying to do to the prophet? He was trying to silence the Word of God. Think about the ways we do that. He's not the only one who did that. You remember the story in the New Testament of John the Baptist. Herod and Herodias did the same thing. Herod says, you know, I don't like John the Baptist preaching. What did John the Baptist say to Herod? John the Baptist says, you know, it's, you can't marry your brother's wife. He you can't, you can't be living with this woman John the Baptist kept you can't yeah, I know you desire her, but that's an inappropriate sexual relationship. That can't happen. Herodias didn't like hearing that preaching. John Herod didn't like hearing that preaching. So they just arrested him. And he kept preaching from jail. This is the law of God. And we got lots of people today living in all sorts of sexual immoral relationships. And what do they do with the Bible? They, don't, they want to cut that part out. They want to say they've progressed. They want to say life is new and different. I was proud of the American Bible Society. Uh, last month, they made a statement to all their employees. They said if anybody is wanting and is living in a relationship outside of marriage, regardless of what it is, sex is for marriage alone, if you're living in that, you need to resign. You don't work for the American Bible Society. We follow the Bible. And the media was like, how can they do that? Well, it's the Bible Society. You know, why can't we follow the Bible? Well, a lot of people say, well, just don't read that part of the Bible. Just cut that part out. There are plenty of people who say they're Christians who, who live that way. And God says, no, 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 we've got to get back to the Bible. Well, Ahaziah wants to cut the preacher's head off. Herod wanted it, and they eventually did with John the Baptist. They cut his head off. The goal was to silence the Word of God, who at that time, at that time was given through the preacher, or you didn't typically get it. Do we ever want to do that? Do we do we have sections of the Bible where we say, you know, I don't I hear he's gonna be preaching on parenting, I don't need parenting, I don't want to hear that. Or I hear he's gonna be preaching on marriage, I don't want to hear that. Or I hear he's gonna be preaching on gender, I, I don't wanna hear that. Or here he's gonna be preaching about church government, definitely don't want to hear that. You know, do we do we silence the word of God? Are there certain sections of God's word you said don't want to hear? And so you just cut it off. You don't cut it off maybe by killing the preacher, but just by not showing up, by not coming, by not reading or by tuning out, by going to some other device and not listening. You can tune the Word of God out by where you sit. You know, I've had people say, I'm going to sit on the front because the preacher always looks over the front. I look right to the back. You guys are in trouble back there. You know? And then I have other people say, I don't want to sit on the back because, I mean, I don't want to sit on the front because he looks right at the front. I'm going to sit on the back. I don't know which way it goes. I try to look all around. But some people particularly say, I want to sit in a particular place for the very purpose of not getting this too intensely. Because it might be spoken in such a way that, I disagree. and I, I don't want to hear stuff that challenges my character, my life, or just what I want to do. Think about it. I mean, there's all sorts of ways perhaps we can try to silence or tune down the Word of God. Um, There's so many subjects, but don't miss the therefore as you think about that. Therefore, three times, verse 4, Now, therefore... Thus says the Lord, You shall not come down from the bed. You've gone up. You shall surely die. Again in verse 6, right at the end. Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed where you have gone up. You shall surely die. Again in verse 16. Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed where you've gone up. You shall surely die. Try to silence the word of God. That's not going to go well for you. Because God sees it. God knows it. He says, therefore that's the way you're going to live, trying to shut me out, when I take the time to bring you the word of God, to give you the wisdom, the direction that I want for you, and you want to turn that off, well, there are consequences, we cannot silence the word of God, well, he tried to do that, that's why he sent the soldiers, why else did Fire come down. I think fire came down not only to show the wrath of God, but it also comes down to show the mercy of God. You know, that third captain, he experienced mercy. He didn't just get the wrath of God. It, it made sense to him that what was happening, the king was trying to kill the preacher. You don't do that. And so he begs for mercy and he gets mercy. And we need to think of the significance of that. What does God have to do to get through to us? Fire coming out of heaven is a miracle, is it not? I mean, that's, that's a supernatural event. And so they had fire come out of heaven and kill 51 guys. Fire comes out of heaven and kills 51 more guys. Two miracles. The third guy says, I don't need any more miracles. How many miracles do you need? How many miracles do I need? See, sometimes, if you'll you'll study the miracles in the Bible, many times you'll see the miracles come out of heaven to impress us, not because of our warm, pliable, submissive hearts, but because of our ungodly, immature, rebellious, defiant hearts. These people were dense Have you you ever had somebody say to you, You don't have to yell at me? Has anybody said that? You don't want to admit it because that means you were yelling, right? Yeah. Okay, thanks. I got one honest person. Good. When somebody says to us, You don't have to yell at me, what do they mean? I'm tired of you. Get away. You know, that's what they usually mean. Why are you yelling? I said, Well, you usually respond and say, well, I don't want to yell, and I wouldn't be yelling, but if I I talk to you the same way all the time, you just don't listen. The reason I'm yelling is because I'm trying to get through. If fire coming out of heaven and killing 51 people is not yelling, what is? And God is saying the problem here is you are so dense. I've got to light it up to get your attention. And you've got to walk through 102 corpses before you get it, and he still doesn't have the king's attention. But at least he got one captain's attention. Miracles, as you pray for miracles, think, Do I am I so dense that I need that? Or do I live as if there's a God who is sovereign and all-powerful and can do whatever he wants? See, if you live that way, you don't need the miracle. But if we're so dense, many times we need God to scream. And that's what's happening here. You know, when I get to that place, I think, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Really? Does he need to do anything else to get my attention? He's already given his only begotten son. Is that not enough? he loves me and he cares for me he's purchased me with his own blood he wants me to listen to him Uh, think about God's great mercy and care Uh, is he getting through when he talks about submission when he talks about honoring parents today is he getting through or do you need a miracle when he talks about let's be faithful in marriage is he getting through or do you need a miracle When he talks about, let's don't have unhealthy attractions. If you've got a desire for something that's morally wrong, the desire needs to change. Is he getting through, or do you need him to light something up? When he says pornography is wrong, is he getting through, or are you saying, everybody's doing it? You know, I've seen it in my life. You've probably seen it in your life. God's burned up the washer and he's burned up the dryer and the car is wrecked and something else. How many things does he have to burn up before you say, God, what's the message? I don't want to silence you. I don't want to cut you off. I want to be submissive. I want to bow down. Don't burn me up. Let me bow down. Let me repent of my sin. Now, let's start living like there's a real God who's really present and who's really in charge. Well, the, song, uh, the, the passage ends with verse 17 and 18. Wow, what a sober passage this is. So, Ahaziah died. He told you three times it's going to happen, right? So, verse 17, Ahaziah died. How? According to the word of the Lord. I am not a medical doctor. I would love to see that on a death certificate, though. Why did he die? It's the Bible, man. It's the word of the Lord. He died because God promised him death many times for the way he was living. So he died because of the word of God of the lord we live as though that doesn't matter the scripture is plain the wages of sin is death do this and you shall die honor your parents or you won't live very long you will die like do we not get serious here or what and here's an example real fast so that you get it so as i had as died according to the word of the lord which Elijah had spoken. So it not only was that God's word, it had been preached to him too. And because he had no son, Jehoram became king in his place in the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. Now, catch this. Now, the rest of the acts of Ahaziah, which he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? What does that mean? Like, it tells you what God values. You want to know what Ahaziah did? Ah, go ask his kids. Go ask somebody else. He said, I'm not interested in telling you his GPA. I'm not interested in telling you what his accolades were, how many golf matches he won, how many trophies he collected, where he worked, how much money he made. You want to know about those kind of things? Go ask somebody else. What I want to tell you He didn't listen to the Bible. And because he didn't listen to the Bible, he died. You want to know about the rest of his life, that unimportant stuff? Then you can go ask somebody else. But the important stuff is right here. How we live and breathe the Bible. How do we respond to the Bible? And we're in a crisis situation, I think. I noticed this at Bible school this this week. This new generation of smartphoners, okay? And I'm one, I got one. I didn't bring it with me. I'll I leave it in my office when I'm working, okay? But let's pretend I got a smartphone in this hand. And what I, I realized this week is we would have people come to, what was the school we had this week? It was what kind? Bible school, remember? All right, so if you've got kids coming to Bible school, and most of the parents were Christian parents, you wouldn't you bring to a Bible school a Maybe a Bible. Maybe. And you would have a whole class without a Bible. I said, what's happening here? Because we're dealing with fifth grade and kindergarten. When do you start reading? You start reading in kindergarten. And so, as a new smartphone generation, as parents, we have our Bible here on our smartphone. The kindergartner doesn't have a smartphone because we're not going to give him a smartphone yet. And if we give him a smartphone, well, we got to put a game on it. So then is he looking at the game or is he looking at the smartphone? Well, so we give him one of these, and he opens it up, and then he looks at mom and dad, and mom and dad have a smartphone. Mom and dad's playing when I'm reading the Bible. They said, no, 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 we're reading the Bible. No, you're not. This is the Bible. You know, you got this thing going on. And so mom and dad don't want to put that down to get this because this is so much cooler. But... Your kid has this if he has anything, or you going to wait till he's sixth grade? You're going to wait till he's 15, almost driving, to give him a smartphone, and then he can have a Bible. You know, we're in a predicament in our society. What are we going to do now, raising the next generation on the Bible? If we don't have a Bible, we have it on a smartphone. What well, that's the Bible? I'm not. I'm not trying to get rid of technology. I think we need it. But we, you've got to figure out if the Bible really matters. How are we going to communicate to our kids? Are we going to put down our smartphone Bible until they're old enough to have a smartphone Bible so that we're all show we by example saying this matters because now we've got kids where mom and dad are have the smartphone Bible and they can punch to if I say turn second kings 1 you go better that you got it but the kids are saying second kings 1 what is that you know because nobody's taught them how to find second kings 1 and that means we're not teaching them that the Bible is the priority and what matters. So, Those of you who are teachers and parents in this generation, you've got a challenge. You obviously don't want to throw out this, and you obviously don't want to throw out this. So you're going to have to figure out a way. The Bible matters, right? So he died according to the word of the Lord. He lived as though the word of God didn't matter. And we've got to get to the place where the Word of God matters. It's our life. Deuteronomy says, listen to this. It is your life. It matters. So either do it on the smart device or do it here, but make sure it matters. Did you see that obituary column that made the news? It was was disgusting. And it made the news because... Um, this lady who died, and she was born in the 30s, so I mean she, she lived a long life. But her, I don't know if I wrote down her name somewhere. Call her something, um, Dimlow. So you can look up her obituary. Her her name was Dimlow. Mrs. Dimlow lived, and then her two su- kids wrote the obituary, and it made made the headlines. Like can't believe kids did this. But we're talking about kids in their 50s or 60s probably, their mom died, and it says mom was born 1938, mom got married, and then mom had an affair with our dad's brother, and she had kids, and then she abandoned her kids and went off and lived her life. Her two kids now are glad she's gone. We will not miss her. And the world would be a better place without her. That was the obituary. And the media said, that's disgusting. And I looked at that and I said, yep, it is. There's no respect for the dead um, in that obituary. I definitely wouldn't want to author that. But then I got thinking about this passage and I said, this is pretty disgusting too. If you died according to the word of the Lord... I don't want to tell you anything else about you. Hmm. The world's better off without you. And the world's better off not knowing anything you did. It's disgusting. Does God have to disgust us to get our attention? To say, this matters. Life according to the word of God. What, it tells me what God's going to record in heaven. He's not recording all the things we want. He's recording our loyalty to Him, our obedience to Him. Oh. And sometimes, yeah, I want to hear, I don't want to hear that, I don't want to hear this, this obituary by Ahaziah, Ahaziah's obituary. I don't want to hear that lady's obituary. I want to hear one like Daniel's or Job's or Ruth's where God says, have you considered my servant, Job, or Ruth, or Daniel? They're so upright. They hear the word and they keep it. They're so loyal. They seek me first. They follow my ways. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. When you hear the master say, I like you I like what you're doing down there I want you into my joy There's two different responses and it's all based on the Word of God who is hearing the Word and following the word who has been turned from sin to righteousness who has received Christ and say now I want to follow and is following Christ um, let me close with one verse. Look at Hebrews. Let's get to the New Testament. Let's look at Hebrews 10. It's not just a verse. It's a passage. Hebrews 10. It's a passage about fire. So we've seen the God of fire smoke 102 men. And you see him bring that up again here in Hebrews 10. Beginning at verse 26. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth... There no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. You can see that third captain there. You can see what Ahaziah should have done in that passage. You've been told the truth. Do you just, Are you going to keep on sinning? Are you going to keep on trying to silence the word of God? That third captain says, not me. He bows down and says, have mercy! I don't want to keep doing the same old, same old, expecting different results. I want to follow God, but Isaiah says, "No, I'm going to keep keep with my plan. I'm going to get him in here, and maybe I'll kill him." But that doesn't happen. That doesn't work. Um, nothing but a terrifying expectation of judgment. It's it's somehow in America we've developed this mindset that. I am justified by death. That death somehow rights all wrongs and everybody's good and going to heaven. But that's not what the Bible says. At death, there's a, certify, cert, there's a terrifying expectation of judgment that our response to the word of God matters now. Verse 28, anyone who is set aside... The law of Moses, you ever run into people who want to set aside God's commandments? Set aside, say it doesn't matter anymore. Anyone who sets aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Verse 29, how much severe, you think that's bad. It says it gets worse. How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So if we live our lives the way we want to, ignore God's word, set aside the law of Moses, ignore why Christ died. Christ died to conform us to the image of Christ in his righteousness. If we ignore that, not only are we ignoring God's preaching, teaching to us, but now we're ignoring Jesus who died to save us from our sins that we would live unto his righteousness. He says, so you're, you were being very offensive to God by saying, Is there, there's no God that we have to follow. Now he sends his son and you say, ah, he'll take care of me at death. He says, you're just trampling the work of Christ? Really? And you think, That's going to go well with you. No, turn from sin and follow. There really is a God who really is in charge. He really does care. And just as he gives wrath, he also gives mercy. I want the mercy. I'm a sinner. I've messed up. I've not kept it perfectly. I want to be like that third captain who's every week, every day, falling down saying, be merciful to me, sinner I don't want to fall into the wrath of God I want to fall into the mercy of God and that's what I hope is for each of you here you see this is real we don't play church we don't play with this book we don't play with God we don't play with this meal we take this meal it's a sign that God sent his son loved us died for us to turn us from sin and disobedience to Christ and obedience Every time we take the Lord's Supper, which is every week, we should walk out with new, fresh obedience. Jesus, thank you for covering my sins. Let me live in your righteousness this week. Let me follow you more earnestly than ever before. Let's pray together. Father, uh, I thank you for Joel's admonition in the Psalm 32 and the prayer we've had earlier in the service we need a time of confession we need to say we're sinners in need of mercy and forgiveness thank you father for providing that in christ as we take of this meal let us not take it except for mercy for grace let us see the seriousness of our sin that you had to die because we are offensive sinners Make us right. Make us righteous. Make us obedient to your word. Make us followers. May we take of the bread and take of the cup with new nourishment to live holy and righteous before you. We thank you for your sovereign presence with us. We thank you that this matters, that we can walk out fresh and clean, forgiven, And every time we mess up, we thank you for your patience, that you can forgive us again and again when we turn and seek your grace. Lord, let us do that even now, for we ask in Jesus' name, amen.